Cold out there tonight. Oh my gosh. Didn't expect to see so many of you. It's so cold. <laughs> but even we, <laughs> extremists of the New York cult, who wouldn't dream of living anywhere else, and for whom even to cross the Hudson River is a bit of a scary proposition. It's the kind of cold that causes even us to dream of the sun, some wonderfully warm wilderness sounds mighty good to me now. Speaking of the desert, have you followed the controversy over Brian Williams? His claim of being shot down in a helicopter over the deserts of Iraq turned out to be untrue. It was another helicopter, an hour ahead of his, that was targeted. Who misremembers being shot at? You might misremember being shouted at. But it's hard to imagine misremembering that it wasn't your helicopter that was targeted. There's something very sad about all this. And frankly, very uh, dangerous about the mob rule that characterizes social media and modern communication. The technology is so powerful. And human beings are so flawed that it's not even a fair fight anymore. All of us puff ourselves up. All of us try to enhance our image in the eyes of others. We do it all the time. We are born with the need for self-approval and the approval of others. Whether deserved or undeserved, we crave adulation. The need is so strong that it takes a lifetime to master the discipline of resisting it. And so we exaggerate our accomplishments and sublimate our failures. If every exaggeration, every puffery, every lie, if every human fallibility is put under the relentless scrutiny of the infallible computer that records our every word and deed in perpetuity, and if our standard is never to tell a lie, we don't stand a chance. Even George Washington's confession that it was he who cut down the cherry tree because he couldn't tell a lie, even that was a lie. It never happened. If there was social media in the time of George Washington, he would have never been elected president. Because when these human fallibilities are exposed on social media, all of the worst instincts of the human race combine to swift and final judgment. Off with his head. The business of news is ratings. So the senior people nowadays need to be stars, celebrities. Journalists themselves have become the story. And they are tempted, like the rest of us, to exaggerate that story. But they also have professional and financial incentives to puff themselves up. It's good for ratings. Moreover, while there are some terrific and talented reporters, some of whom are enormously courageous, unfortunately, most of the news today is not really news anyway. It's more like infotainment.
You believe what you see on the news? To observe one week of how the media covers Israel is enough to demonstrate how false all the news that is fit to print really is. It's why they call a news report a story. Human beings learn and teach by telling stories. Stories touch the truth, but they are not the truth. We call what we call truth is a mirage anyway. In the realm of human endeavors, there really is no such thing as complete or absolute truth. News is somewhere in the ballpark of truth. What another great observer called truthiness. But remember, reporters file stories. The point for us is to better understand the human propensity of exaggeration, puffery, and lies. Now the expert on all things, Mark Twain, wrote this. Everybody lies. Every day. Every hour. Awake. Asleep. In his dreams. In his joy. In his mourning. If he keeps his tongue still, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his attitude will convey deception and purposely, even in sermons. But that is a platitude. And because all of us have these propensities, I think that's why we react so passionately when we discover someone in authority who stretched the truth. It's almost a defense mechanism for us. We see ourselves reflected in the lie, and therefore, because we're afraid of ourselves, we release our fears on these public figures whom we have caught out in lies. It's why Twain thought that the, what we need is the ability to imitate truth. That's the art we need to develop. He put it this way. Therefore, the wise thing is to diligently train ourselves to lie thoughtfully, judiciously, to lie with a good object, not an evil one, to lie for others' advantage and not our own, to lie healingly, charitably, humanely, not cruelly, hurtfully, maliciously, to lie gracefully and graciously, not awkwardly and clumsily, to lie firmly, frankly, squarely, with head erect, not haltingly, as if being ashamed of our high calling. Actually, in all seriousness, Judaism teaches something similar. The Bible describes numerous lies for example, Moses lies to Pharaoh. Moses said, let the people go so that they may worship the Lord God. Moses never once told Pharaoh the real plan, which was to have the people, all the people, leave permanently and never come back. The midwives in the story, Shifra and Puah, also lied to Pharaoh when he asked them why they let the baby boys live, contrary to his command to 
throw all the male infants into the river, the midwives responded that the Hebrew women were so vigorous that they gave birth before the midwives could even reach them. That was a bald-faced lie. Jacob lied to his father Isaac in deceiving him that it was Esau, that he was Esau and deserved the blessing. Joseph's brothers lied to Joseph upon the death of their father Jacob. When they fabricated a story that Jacob begged Joseph to forgive his brothers, the Bible never tells us that Jacob even knew until his dying day of the sale of Joseph into slavery by his brothers. Even God misspoke in the Bible. Remember when the visitors come to Sarah and announce to her that she would bear a child? Sarah responded, now that I am withered, can I have pleasure since my husband is so old? And when God reported to Abraham what Sarah said, God didn't report it accurately. God said to Abraham that Sarah's reaction was, shall I bear a child seeing that I, Sarah, am old? The tradition explained that God wanted to spare Abraham's feelings and keep peace in the household. And so we learn Judaism's approach to truth. You should tell the truth. First, there is a pragmatic perspective. Chances are that you are going to be caught eventually if you tell a lie. Most of us cannot lie persuasively. It is too complicated. Sooner or later, the truth will be revealed. For most of us, our reputation for truthfulness and integrity is our primary calling card. No matter what is our endeavor and what is our profession in the world, we cannot do what we're supposed to do in life if people do not think of us as men and women of integrity. But of course, the most important reason to try not to stray too far from the truth is the moral one. As the Talmud states, whoever breaks his word, it is as though he worships idols. Liars will not receive the divine presence, we read. In many of the cases of lying in the Bible, those lies are condemned. In other cases, our tradition dwells upon when it might be acceptable to stretch the truth. In the cause of justice, to protect lives, as in the case of the midwives, of course it's acceptable not to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a great debate in the Talmud about what to say to a bride who was unattractive. The school of Shammai said that you should tell her the truth. Otherwise, you violate the Torah, which demands that we tell the truth. Immanuel Kant agreed with this approach. He argued we should never lie. Even if there is a murderer at your door looking for the room of his victim, you should tell him the truth. The school of Hillel responded, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Even if the bride is unattractive, say 
that she is beautiful and gracious. The exceptions to truth-telling in Jewish thought have to do not with our own personal ambitions, but with sensitivity to other people. For the sake of peace, we can tell a white lie. For reasons of modesty, we can stretch the truth. To protect privacy, we can tell a taller tale. To avoid causing harm, hurt, and insult, we can dabble in deception. There's a concept in Jewish thought called a fence around the Torah. It is intended to protect us from violating the core prohibition by creating a peripheral obstacle, a fence. If we cannot surmount the fence, we cannot violate the core prohibition. For example, to reduce the risk of taking the name of God in vain, the rabbis advise not to swear at all. That way, one doesn't run the risk of swearing impermissibly. To avoid the risk of violating the laws prohibiting work on Shabbat, some rabbis decreed you, you shouldn't even pick up a hammer, lest you forget it's Shabbat and begin to do work. Knowing our human propensities for exaggeration, deceit, falsity, ego, adulation, admiration, positive opinion, with this self-knowledge, we should try to build a fence around our human fallibilities. Truthfulness is at the heart of our aspirations for a good society. On three things the world rests, writes the Mishnah. Justice, truth, and peace. <laughs>